All right, we're going to get started here. Um, we are going to continue with uh, Hebrews. We're kind of stuck on one verse here where we're talking about uh, some of the men of faith. And while he just kind of went by them real quickly, we just are going to try and uh, dissect a few of those to uh, tell you why they're listed in this great chapter of faith, that they're there for a reason. And we should take time, I think, to, in a sense, honor what God did through them and in their life. And so rather than just saying their name and moving on, we are taking just a small pause to look at a few of these people. And so tonight we are uh, looking at Samson and Samuel. We're just going to touch Samuel but uh, Samson is going to be the primary one that we're going to be looking at. And again, if anybody uh, listening wants to hear more of what we've been doing, they can find it on patreon.com forward slash creation instruction. All right, get that out of the way. Anyway, um, Samson is uh, a pretty remarkable guy. You know, we always see him in Sunday school uh, pictures and Sunday school books and whatever as this big muscular amazing guy. I'm not, I don't know, but I'm not convinced that he was this big muscular guy. I'm sure he had some muscles. I'm sure he didn't look like me, but uh, I would suspect that otherwise it wouldn't have been such a surprise that he could do the things that he could do. Point being is it's not going to be his strength that's going to bring deliverance. Just like it's not ours, we've talked about that many times. It's not our strength that can bring deliverance or salvation or any help in anything. This week we have all kinds of stuff going on. Debbie asked me, are you going to talk about, you know, the, what's going on in the world? And I said, well, probably not because I don't know what to say. There's so many odd, amazing things going on and I don't think there's any more to say because it all comes down to one thing still. You trust God. And you just wait on him. That's what it's coming down to. Yes, we do have 25,000 troops uh, in Washington, D.C. More than we've had in Afghanistan war and other wars combined. We've got troops in almost every state, even Lincoln now. We, we do have supposedly up to 250,000 Canadian troops, or not Canadian, Chinese troops outside of Canada in Mexico. We do have um, uh, our borders shutting down until February or March or something. Uh, all kinds of craziness. And this isn't just the United States we're talking about. We've got entire governments supposedly that are, their entire cabinets have resigned in like three countries, three or four countries. So this is a worldwide phenomenon. And for us to think, oh, well, let's just go live life, is absolutely insanity. Because God is telling you, be prepared. But what does that mean? Well, I think what it means is look at these people of faith of the past. I think that's really what it means, is that it's not so much your guns, your food, and your water. Oh, I'm, I think you should have food and water stored up. I think you should always have that, even if this wasn't going on right now. I think you should have that. But what I think most, is, uh, most importance of, of everything 
is that you need to have your spirit in check, your faith. You need to be ready to be standing up. It's just like that Jamie Walden had said, you know, in Matthew 24, it's really what Jesus said. So when you see all these things happening, stand up. Your, your salvation draws nigh. We should be prepared spiritually. And one of the ways we do that is by looking at these men of faith. Uh, I was listening to Jamie Walden, and I want to encourage you, I mean, with as much fervor as I can, watch, just Google, uh, YouTube, Jamie Walden, ring the bell. Okay? Jamie Walden, ring the bell. Because it is going to be, that's exactly what I'm talking about here tonight. One of the things he talks about, and I'm not going to give it all away, but when you are in these special forces, these higher tiers of, of the military, they tell you, you volunteered for this. And you, you need to basically decide, right there's a bell. You ring it, you can go home. You can go back to mommy. If you're worried about your wife, if you're worried about your kids, if you're worried about you know, the cold or, or having to sleep outside in that cold or anything else, if you're scared, go ring the bell. You don't have to be here. And he, he kind of takes that to the connection of, guys, that's Christianity. This is what Jesus says. No one builds a house unless he first considers if he has enough money to finish the, 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 the building, right? He says you need to consider and count the cost of Christianity. And he says that when somebody wants to come to Christ, you know, you know I think I'm ready. I, I think I want to accept Jesus. We're like, hey, great, wonderful, come on in. And, and then that's it. He says, I like to sit down with him and say, okay, hey, that's wonderful, great. Have a seat. Now let me tell you what's going to happen. Let me tell you what you can expect. The devil is going to come after you. The Bible says that you will be persecuted on account of me. This is what you have. You have a life of hardship ahead of you. It is going to be tough. And he said, some of them are like, oh, you know, maybe I don't want this. And others are like, let me think about it. And they come back and say, you know what? There is no other truth. So I, what else can I do? And that's the point that he said, all of these soldiers and whatnot, they don't just say, all right, hey, if you're scared, whatever, ring the bell. They also encourage you and say, listen, but the rewards are great. You're going to be standing among these other great heroes that have done this and who have done that and whatnot. That's the point of Samson. This is a man we are to look at and show, it shows us the power that God has in us as warriors of Christ. These men have not been forgotten. They were mentioned 2,000 years ago as men of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and now here we are talking about them today. They have not been forgotten. And they never will be. And let me tell you something. You don't even have to be a Samson and you will not be forgotten. But we need to stand up and be a warrior for Christ. We are not in some sissy, childlike game of Christianity like the church has been playing for so many years. It is time to wake up and get your armor on, the armor of God. And that's why we're looking at these people, because we need to be these kind of people. So Judges chapter 13, we're going to kind of hang out in chapter 13 a little bit here tonight to, to go back and, and 
take that little sidetrack out of Hebrews since they took us there. It says again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. So, 40 years Israel has been under the control of the enemy. Now, 40 in Scripture we see as a time of testing all the time. We see it, you know, 40 years in the desert. Uh, Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. All these things we, we can look at. But the bottom line is it's a time of testing. Now, I think our whole life, you can even look at that 40 years in the desert. I believe that is a picture of our life walk. That we are, and we've talked about this before, but we are being tested by God right now. Remember, God said, all right, I delivered you out of Egypt. Now, thou shalt and thou shalt not. Let me see who really does love me. Jesus has died on the cross for you, and now he still says, thou shalt and thou shalt not. Let me see who really loves me. John says, if you love me, Jesus, if you love me, you will do what I say. Jesus said to the, the Pharisees, if you really were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. And I could go on and on and on and on. The point is, I don't care if it's old or new, because of the grace of God, we have a responsibility. You're under a test. Now, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because we, we don't have time to cover the whole chapter. We could talk about all kinds of things here with Samson, and I'll give you some highlights that we will not go into detail with here later. But verse 24 of Judges 13 says, So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him uh, at Mahena Dan, between Zorah and Eshtaal. So now we see that Samson is born. He is a promised son. He is born, and the Spirit of God is upon him. Now keep that in mind just as we kind of go through. We see the same thing with Jesus. I think Samson is a picture of Messiah. Okay, the, the whole Old Testament is a picture of Jesus in one way, shape, or form, okay, in, in analogies and so on. Um, the Spirit of God comes upon him. He is a promised child. Then you get into Judges 14, verse 1, and we know here that it says, Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. He went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? So he knows Torah, he knows the law of God, and his father is asking him, hey, think about what you're doing. You're going to a Gentile woman? Because Torah says you're not supposed to do that. And his father is encouraging him that. You know, isn't there somebody else? So, as we know, he's going to take a Gentile bride. Sound like Yeshua? Taking a Gentile bride as well? 
Um, his parents, because this angel came to them, they know that he's got a special call on his life. They know that. But here is their son, and it's like, hey, you've got a special call. You're not living up to it. What, what are you doing? What's wrong? They know something doesn't seem right. It, it's crazy to them, but this is all part of God's plan. So as it continues here in verse 3, Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, the, the Greek Septuagint, again, scripture, it is the, the, just the Greek translation of it. As I've said before, 50% of all the quotes in the New Testament are from the Septuagint, the Greek translation, all right, of the Old Testament. And so the Septuagint indicates here that Samson was being governed or led by his flesh. I don't even think you really need the Septuagint to do that. It just helps because some people might say maybe he was thinking this or that. But the Septuagint seems to kind of magnify that, that no, he was living in the flesh. That... It basically says, take her for me because she is right in my eyes. Well, it's kind of interesting that this is happening right after it tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. This doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but it does to the Lord as we see because it was part of his plan. God will use you even if you're a donkey. And I think that's what he's doing here with Samson. I'll tell you what, sometimes I'm amazed that he allows me to sit here and teach uh, his word. Okay? I, I would think we're probably all in the same boat, and, and some of you are probably in a nicer boat than I am. This isn't about how good we are. This is about how good he is. His faithfulness his promises that he will live up to. And so it doesn't have to make sense to us always. Now, you'll see Samson does pay for this. There are consequences for Samson. But for the, the, the whole purpose, God is going to use him regardless. And that's what he does for all of his purposes. God does everything for his purpose, and we don't have to understand it. Today we were listening to Elizabeth Elliot as well. And she said, you know, people always ask, you know, why does God allow children to suffer? And, this? and she says, I can't, I can't tell you. I don't know, but I've, I've come to understand it. Now, if you don't know Elizabeth Elliot, she's had three husbands. Two, her first two have died. The first one was, if you ever saw the movie End of the Spear, uh, that's Elizabeth Elliot, missionaries. Uh, he, he was killed and cannibalized by this cannibalistic, you know, jungle people. And two years later, she went back and evangelized to them, and they became Christians. And it was all part of God's plan. Verse 5 continues, Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart, as one would have torn, a young, or, uh, torn apart a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down, and he talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. 
After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. Now, I'm not going to talk about too much here outside of the fact, why mention a goat, like a goat? That he was able to take this lion and tear it apart like a goat, as if it was a young goat. It's almost possibly, basically, a picture of Jesus again. The lion of the tribe of Judah that will be a sacrificial goat, a sacrificial lamb, you might say. I don't know, just a possible picture there. It goes on, he took some of it in his hands, the honey, and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for young women used to do so. And it happened when they saw him, that they brought 30 companions to be with him. So here we now have a wedding feast, which again is kind of a... Samson is preparing a wedding feast, a picture of Messiah again. And it would last seven days. Verse 12, Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle, that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. So, three days. Why say three days when it's a seven-day feast that they're having here? It's kind of interesting in itself. They have seven days to solve it, so this is in, kind of intentional to point out. If there's a seven-day feast, but he's only giving them three days. And they don't get it until the end of the seven days. Well, <coughs> if you think about it, as a possible picture here, an analogy is Yeshua, Jesus, was basically hidden for three days. And some think that this is a prophetic picture of him. That this truth, this, this honey and lion, is a picture of him. Yeah. We know that Jesus, the Word of God, is talked about as honey. We know that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, and interestingly, too, only the, through the death of Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, does anything sweet come out of it. So, all kinds of things like that. But Psalm 119, verses 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Or Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Revelation 10.10, Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. You know, all of these examples that we could give you, but Samson tastes the honey and that it is sweet. So, like I said, a possible picture there. But I want to take you to some historical commentary. Uh, Josephus, again, a Jewish historian from around the time of Christ, uh, a little bit after as well, basically we see him making some comments about Samson. It gives you some insight into what they were saying about Samson 2,000 years ago. He says, however, he at length transgressed the laws of his country, altered his own regular way of living, and imitated the strange custom of foreigners, which thing was the beginning of his miseries. 
For he fell in love with a woman that was a harlot among the Philistines. Her name was Delilah, and he lived with her. Well, as you know the story, we're not going to read it all, but we know that they don't know uh, the riddle until they go and mess with uh, this woman of Timnah, and then they get the answer. So judgment is brought upon them. And then later we see that they go and burn her and her father in their house. Little side note, archaeologically speaking, it is interesting that we have positively, positively, positively identified the uh, tell of Timna, the city of Timna. Uh, and they have found Gath, they have found Timna. Remember, the Philistines had five cities. And at Gath, they have found a clay piece of pottery that, with Goliath's name on it. Um, and they have also found a six-figured or six-fingered figure uh, there as well, which we know that that's also what we saw at Gath was a six-fingered giant, had six fingers and six toes on each one. But in Timna, what was interesting is they found a house that was burned up and two skeletons inside. Not saying it's them, but it could be. Very interesting. So it's the only house burned and two skeletons inside of it. So kind of interesting. Samson has prior to this as well been devastating the Philistines. He's a judge and the Philistines don't like him because of that. He, he even kills a thousand men with the jaw of a donkey, just the bone. And until, I, I can't even imagine that. But what we're getting are some indications here of compromise. And that is exactly what Josephus is saying here. That he says his, he altered his own regular way of living and imitated the strange customs of foreigners. Remember, this guy had a Nazarite vow. And when he was born, and even the angel that told his mother and father, he said he is not to do what? Touch a dead body, cut his hair, and... Abstain, you know, not touch anything from the vine. Okay, wine. Well, guess what happens? Not only we, we see is he touching a dead body here. First of all, the jawbone of a donkey. Or I should say second of all. And then first of all, the dead lion. We also see that he will end up getting his hair cut. And it's when he's in a vineyard when this uh, goes on, too. So we see these little compromises that Samson is making. Um, and then we're going to see that that seems to be the beginning of his d demise. Does that mean God ever leaves him, though? No, you know the story. God never leaves Samson, despite his compromised life. Just like me. God never leaves me despite my compromised life. But it's important for us to realize that with the, every compromise that we make, the only person we're hurting is ourselves. Well, that's not true. I, I shouldn't put it that way. We are hurting ourselves. We're losing blessings, but we can hurt our whole community, our, our family, all those around us, just like Achan's sin. And that is why one of my favorite parts of this ring the bell thing is he's going to talk about, you know, in the church today, these little compromises, we kind of sweep them under the rug as if it, nobody's getting hurt. 
No. He says, if you're caught, you, you've got some accountability partner that you've been with for 15 years and he's still struggling with, uh, with pornography. He says, what are you doing? You need to sit down with that guy and say, you stop it and you stop it now. And I'm telling you this because I love you. Because if you don't stop, first of all, you're, 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 you're uh, not treating your wife like you should, right? You are committing adultery against your wife. You're doing all of these things, and, and after 15 years, and he said, well, and you're my prayer partner? I don't want you praying for me. God does not listen to your prayers. I mean, Proverbs 28, 9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to God's law, even his prayers are detestable to him. Psalms, uh, David said this, if I had held iniquity in my heart, I, God would not have listened to me. See, we, he says, we have to be telling these people, no, I'm not even going to eat with you. I'm not chumming around with you. You're not going to be my prayer partner if you're struggling with pornography after all this time. 1 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral, greedy, an adulterer, homosexuality, any of these things, he says, with such a man do not even eat. So, he's saying, there are compromises, and when we allow these compromises in our life, let me tell you something, it does affect you. And what's a compromise? Who gets to decide what's a compromise? The church? You? Or the Word of God? God's the one that gets to decide what's a compromise because God is the one who says what is right and what is wrong. Period. There really isn't a question about it. So, you read this stuff about Samson, and I know when I read about Samson anyway, it's hard for me to understand why he's in this great faith chapter again. Because it's like, man, you, you expect these amazing people that never sinned, right? There is no one of them. Why? Because they were all human. They were all flesh-filled. Even David, a man after God's own heart, murdered somebody. And culturally acceptable, but I mean, my goodness, the guy had how many wives? Five or seven? What, what, was it more? I can't remember now how many wives he had. Basically, what I see is Josephus is showing us the culture affected him. And guys, I believe the culture has affected every one of us, myself included here. And it is time for us as a church, as a church body, the, the true capital C church, to, to take a step back and say, all right, what is truth? We know how to find it, but what is it? Not because I've heard it all my life, not because I grew up with it, but because it's in the Word of God. And if it isn't in the Word of God, you have to ask yourself, where did it come from? Yeah, we want everybody to come into Christianity comfortable and without any shame, feeling good. You know, when I was going out and we would do all that street evangelism out at PJ's, outside that bar, the greatest experiences I've seen with people were 300-pound football player coming down weeping in front of me because of the brokenness of his sin. And I think because of what we've taught in the church of that easy-peasy Christianity, no wonder we have so much compromise. 
There, there aren't standards. We've, we've set the bar of Christianity so low. Who can't get in you know, to, to the church doors? Now, I understand everybody's welcome. However, not everybody's welcome to stay. There is a difference. And that's why the law is important in the churches. It makes so much sense to me that Satan is a man of lawlessness. Because that is the number one thing. That's really all he has to do is get rid of the law. To be a man of lawlessness so that there is no bar. Now, again, with this I understand and you know, but i got to say it again because I don't want people going where they shouldn't with this. God set the bar, the law, and God is the only one who could reach that bar because it is so high none of us can. So it is because of him that we've been able to reach that bar, but he still has expectations for you to do your best. It's kind of like, I don't know, I look at it as a child. You know when your kid is learning to do something and they're terrible at it, but you keep encouraging them because they're, they're trying, right? When you start compromising, uh, Satan just is going to continue to work on you. And it's not long, we see in chapter 16, that God is going to allow a woman to get involved there that Satan will use to bring destruction upon him again. Um, you say that jokingly, but it, it almost always is. <laughs> not because it's the woman's fault, but because the man. We see it from the Garden of Eden. You, I mean, we could go through a whole list of them. Okay, Samson, David... Right? We see... Um, teenage uh, boys throughout history. Yeah, teenage <laughs> boys throughout history, exactly. I'm not going to... I don't have time to get back into that, but if you haven't heard the, the message that we did on uh, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, go listen to that. There's a reason that Satan went after Eve, because he knew that he, she had his heart. And God will do that. And I think it's so important for you women to understand that, that you are more powerful than you will ever, ever even realize. And some maybe no. But that means that you have a responsibility. You were created to be a helpmeet, and you can either help your husband be that godly man he's supposed to be, or you can be the one who keeps waiting, weighing him down and not allowing him to be the man that God wants him to be as head of the house. And, uh, I mean, we see even Ahab. Why did he do all the bad things he did? Because of his wife Jezebel. It says it right in Scripture. Because his wife Jezebel spurned him on. Um, I, I mean, example after example after example in Scripture. So... Not a secret. Men, then, that means that you need to you know, be aware of that as well, that Satan is going to try and use your wife against you at times, which means you are to protect your garden, your home, your household, your wife, all of those things. So uh, go listen to that message. Judges 16.4. Afterwards it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah, and the lord of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where, there, where, where his strength lies. Now, if he was all this muscular, you know, Hulk Hogan or whatever kind of guy, 
I think they would know where his strength lied. You know, they'd go, oh, this dude is, man, he's monster. I think he was an average-looking Joe. It's like, what, how? Just my thought. Find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Someone else you know betrayed by silver? Just another one here. Um, this is one reason why we are not to be unequally yoked with the world. Because I'm telling you, you think you're strong enough to be unequally yoked with the world? Think again. The world will deceive you. In the book of Revelation, it goes through these churches, and in my book I kind of talk about this a little bit, but the bottom line is we see what happens is there is a mixture that starts to take place, and it's that mixture that then brings in the compromise to the churches. I think the church has been unequally yoked with the world for some time. We smell like the world. We look like the world. We try to fit in to the world in every way, shape, and form. And that's why we got that seeker-sensitive movement that was so terrible. We, we can't talk Christianese because they don't get it. We'll expect them to. Set the bar high. I'm sorry you don't understand what justification means. Let me explain it to you. Okay? Don't set the bar so low so that they feel comfortable coming in. But there has been that same kind of unequally yokedness, I think. Um, anyway, Delilah is an interesting word here. It, her name can mean to be brought low. That's exactly what she's going to do to Samson, to bring him low. Um, and you can kind of look at her as a picture of the devil. And what does she want to do to Samson? Bind him. What's the devil want to do to you? To bind you. To keep you down. To, to steal your freedom. To steal your strength. You know, that's the thing Jamie Walden talks about too that I think is so good. We always see the armor of Christ and we see it on a picture of a Roman soldier that we can't even relate to. And he shows a picture of like a marine, you know, Navy SEAL kind of guy, all decked out with night vision to you name it. I mean, it's like you do not want to run into that guy. That's the kind of thing that the devil, when, he, when we put on our armor of God, as he would say, we ought to be going on, what's up, boy? They want to come, the, the devil it ought to look at us and go, okay, 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 back off, we'll, we'll go when we use that armor. But we're not, we're just like, oh, I think we've got our little fairy outfit on. You know, sprinkling our pixie love dust, you know. You know, yeah. So, we got to think this way. I don't know, he's just really good about putting you on a warrior mentality of Scripture, spiritually. That we need to attack spiritually. What does that mean? I think it means when you see compromise, you stand against it. Don't just talk about it. When you see sin, you address it. Don't just talk behind their backs about it. 
We put on the belt of truth. If the devil wants to bind you, then you need to come back at him with that armor. And you, got, you say, oh yeah, bring it on. And now I'm not, I'm not tempting the devil here. One of the things he talks about, notice, it's not your armor. What's it called? The armor of God. It's his strength that you attack. Don't just sit back and expect, you know, him to just run into you and bounce off of you. You attack. Use the shield of faith. Use the sword, the word of God. Putting it on proudly, kind of like what you were saying, Deb, is this, you know, shame. Okay, if you'd, if you'd like to be a Christian, raise your hand and, and everybody else, nobody is going to be looking. It's okay, you know. Yeah, put on Jesus and be proud because otherwise you will be bound. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to bind you. Most Christians don't realize we're in a war. We're Christians. Now let me go live my life and let me plan my trip to here and there and the exciting things that I can buy and all of this. God did not put you here on earth to do that. You're in battle. And when you go to battle, you get focused. Not thinking about, oh, well, I'm going to go to the Bahamas and I want to, you know, get this really fast motorcycle and whatever. We need to get focused because God is calling us to battle. So, yeah. Judges 16.6 then continues, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings yet not dried, I'll become weak like any other man. So the Lord of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried. She bound them, him with them. Now, men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. This is the part that I just don't get. I mean, if your girlfriend asks, how can I destroy you? You might want to break up with her. I'm just saying. Yeah, three times he's going to go through this, and, and I got no explanation for you on this one. So <laughs> outside of this is God's plan. So verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. He did try. You know what that proverb says, it's better to live on the roof of your house than, you know, with a, a wife that's a dripping faucet, basically. A quarrelsome wife. That's what's happening. He... I think he just finally, it's like, I know this is bad. I just don't care. Just be quiet in a weak moment. They didn't have diamonds yet back then. Yeah, they didn't have diamonds. So he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So, you know, I... I can joke about I don't get it, but how many times does Satan wear us out? We know we shouldn't do something. We know it's not good for us. 
and we do it anyway. What I find interesting here too is that he realizes that he has made a covenant with God. He's made a vow to him. And he also realizes if I break that vow, I will become weak. How many people in the church really realize that? That if you break God's commandments, you will become weak. Will you still belong to him? Yes. He's faithful even when we're not. But you will become weak. You are opening yourself for deception and to be destroyed by the devil. And this is why, guys, I am so adamant about the law of God. I mean, we, we've been talking about this for, you know, almost a year already. And people, you know, make fun of us or look down at us or think we're a cult because we actually talk about the law of God. But I'm telling you, the law of God is still in effect. God has fulfilled it for me. He has, he has accomplished it so there's no condemnation. But the law remains. Not one jot, not one tittle, not one yod, that little mark of the Hebrew alphabet, will be taken away as long as heaven and earth remain. And last I checked, we're still here on earth. Therefore, not one letter has been taken away. Okay, this is why he can say that the law is good. Timothy, the law is good as long as one uses it properly. Romans, do we then nullify the law? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Unless we're in church today. Then we can get rid of it somehow. No. I'm telling you because I love you enough to tell you, you break the law, you'll become weak. You'll become like any other ordinary man without the power of the Spirit of God reigning in your life. That's why we talk about these things. He continues in verse 18, When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep, kind of like America, on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. Boy, if that isn't a picture of the devil right there. You see, the devil isn't going to be happy just to get you to become weak. He wants to torment you. And he wants to do it for an eternity. So, Samson gave up his secret. I think of that proverb as well, do not throw your pearls before swine. There are things about Christianity, guys, that belong to the body of Christ only. Communion, one example. Okay? The Bible talks about you take communion without recognizing the body of Christ you eat and drink to your own damnation. That's what it says in Corinthians. That's just scripture. Yeah, that's not for the world. Frankly, I think the church, you know who the church is for? Christians. We've made the church our evangelistic arm, and scripturally, church has always been for the believers to come and strengthen themselves, and then you are the evangelistic arm as you go out throughout the rest of the week. But we've made it, come one, come all, it makes no difference what you're doing. Don't throw your pearls before swine. 
And that's kind of what he's done here, is he gave the secrets of the gospel, the secrets of the kingdom of God, to somebody who was a swine. And what does it say? You know, you throw your pearls before swine, what do they do? They're going to trample on it. And, I mean, that could be a whole message in itself. But I want you to know, again, God will not leave us, but we can leave God. And that's what Samson was doing here. Verse 20 continues. She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, um, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. So, as I said, God will never leave you, but you can leave God. Once you leave God, he can leave you. Now, he didn't leave him forever here, though, did he? We know the story. He's going to... The hair is growing back. I don't think the hair had anything to do with it. I think that was a symbol of his heart as well. I think that Samson is going to be humbled and his heart is going to be changed. We're going to see that in his prayer as well. It's no more about, ah, it's now a very humble spirit. And he is going to, with a humble spirit, kill more than he ever did when he was, ah. <laughs> so... Anyway, yeah, the Hulk. As you know, his eyes are going to be taken out, all of that. One of the biggest weaknesses of his career was the lust of his eyes. And so the very thing that he loved most in the flesh was taken away from him. Sometimes that might be what we need. When God keeps calling us and telling us to, you know, give this up, give this up, give this up, because it's become an idol in your life, and we keep doing it, maybe He loves us enough to step in. Because it would be better that you enter the kingdom of God maimed, you know, with, without an arm, without a hand, without an eye, than to spend an eternity in hell. And God loves you enough to do that. And... So sometimes we can bring on suffering ourselves because we're stubborn. Not saying that's always the case, that every time you have problems it's because you've done something wrong. I'm not saying that. It's not biblical either. But it is biblical to say sometimes that is the case because God is merciful. So, Continues in verse 23, The lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, to rejoice. And they said, Our god has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, Our god has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So they're giving, you know, basically praise to a false god for this victory. I kind of think, I almost wonder if that's not what happened when Christ died. You know, that they were all excited in hell. But continues, verse 25, So it happened when their hearts were merry. They said, Call for Samson that we may perform for us, or he may perform for us. 
So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. Samson said to the lad who held him in the, in the, by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I, may, I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. So they're bringing him out to humiliate him, just like they did to Christ. You know, if all of this happened to you, you've been anointed by God, you're a Christian, you go to church your whole life, you do this, and then all of a sudden your life falls apart. You're tortured, you're beaten, your kids are taken, they're tortured. Do you curse God? Or do you trust that God knows what he's doing? Remember Job, Job had everything taken from him. And what does his wife tell him? Again, a woman. Just curse God and die. Get it over with. Just curse God. There was a reason the devil took everything from him except for his wife. Because the devil knew that she was not being a help me. So, it would be very tempting, as we've been talking about Hebrews 11, it's like, why is this guy in there? We have to remember, I don't think any of us are any better. I think a lot of people today in this situation would be, why God? Why me? I, I've prayed to you every night. I've even shared the gospel a few times. I've done this. I've done that. And they would give up on God. But that's not what Samson does. And guys, I think ultimately that's why he is in the great faith chapter. Because I think there's a really good possibility with what's going on in the world right now. That with what Biden is openly, public media, this isn't conspiracy theory stuff. What, what Biden wants to do in the first hundred days could make Christians terrorists simply by saying, I believe this Bible is true. There is a real possibility that we could be facing some times that we've only read about in history books. And are you going to, in faith, trust God? Or are you going to curse God and die? Yeah, anybody who wants to say, hey, trouble's ahead, no, you're not going to be speaking in church. We want flowers and roses and, you know, sweet smells coming out of the churches. That's, that's what we're here for. But... trying to pull up a verse here and I'm not getting it in the right spot but basically it says that those who obey God it says if we repent and do that it says perhaps God will spare you on the day of his wrath or the day of his anger but the bottom line guys is again this is where obedience is important blessings doesn't guarantee that you're going to be trouble free God actually promises that those who love Jesus 
will be persecuted. He says this, is that Timothy? He says, anyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the message of scripture. Sign me up, because I'm not ringing the bell. And that's the resolve we need to have. Samson isn't going to ring the bell. It goes on. Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord, remember me, I pray, strengthen me, I pray, just this once. O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right, the other on his left. Interesting picture as well, isn't it? One right, one left, the, the thieves. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Another messianic picture. When the Lord comes back, it's with vengeance. Not with the Jesus that we've grown up with, but with the biblical Jesus, yes. If you think about it, even in, in Revelation chapter 5, we see before the, the throne, what are they saying, those saints who have been killed? How long, O Lord, until you come and avenge our blood? So, vengeance, the saints are crying out for it, even in heaven. Now, I know there's, there's kind of a, a fine line here that you can go, okay, then I can hate my... No, we're to love our enemies at the same time. But we also have to realize that there is an aspect of vengeance, especially when they are attacking you, killing you, killing your family. That's what's happened. The Philistines have been very harsh on Israel. And so we have grown up with this nice little Jesus loves you, that he loves everybody and everything, and Jesus would never send anybody to hell. No, and that's what Jamie is very good about showing you, is he's coming back as a warrior that is going to make you, like, mess yourself if you're not a Christian. So I'm going to take you to Josephus here to conclude a little bit. Um, again, though, before we go, this messianic picture he chooses to die with the wicked. Christ chooses to die between you know, two uh, ungodly men. One of them, I think, repented, obviously. Okay? But nonetheless, uh, just a picture here. As I said, betrayed with silver, um, that kind of thing. But here's what Josephus says. Indeed, this man deserves to be admitted, er, admired for his courage and strength. Now remember, Josephus is the same guy that was just saying, hey, he was weak. He gave in to his flesh. But he says, And magnanimity, uh, you know, at his death, and that his wrath against his enemies went so far as to die himself with them. But as for his being ensnared by a woman, that is to be ascribed to human nature, which is too weak to resist the temptations to that sin. But we ought to bear him witness that in all other respects, he was one of extraordinary virtue. That one little chink in his armor, Satan used to make him weak. 
That's why I think it's worth talking about this. Because it's encouraging to me. Even think about Lot. You ask me, name ten righteous people in Scripture, Lot will not come to my mind. But what does Peter say about him? Even Lot, a righteous man, was tormented daily in his spirit because of what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. He screwed up. Lot screwed up. Yeah, he, he made some compromises. And then, this is what we do, but this is the lesson. Don't do that. Examine yourself. What are the chinks that are in your armor that Satan is going to use against you in the upcoming days? You better get on top of it. Because you can still be a great man and woman of faith. Because we're all men and women of sin. But it's that faith to the end. That endurance. That perseverance to the end. That's going to count. And we want to just think about that. What will it take for you to, to give up God? And I hope that you come up with nothing, not even my life. On pain of limb or life, I will not give it up. I'm just going to take about three or four slides as all to talk about Samuel. Um, he's mentioned here as well, a Levite, a prophet. And uh, so many reasons which you could say, well, yeah, I get why he's in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, he goes around preaching the word of God. I mean, he's just an all-around good guy, it seems. But um, you might even call him a, a revivalist, like a John Wesley or a, a Spurgeon or somebody like that. That seems to be his life. Um, just going around, like I said, calling people back to God. I'll just hit some highlights Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you. Prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you. This is kind of the message I feel like preaching today. I was telling some people earlier today, I don't know what's going to happen this week. There's all kinds of talk about Trump and the Insurrection Act and all of that being signed. Maybe. Like I said, we've got more troops in Washington. We've got so much going on, it's a possibility. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Whoever gets in, it doesn't change the truth that our job hasn't changed. But I can tell you this. If Trump does get in, and we do have a little reprieve for a while, I'm coming to kick your butt if you don't stand up for Christianity from here on out. If he gives us the ability to stand, I am going to be bolder, than, and louder than I have ever been. Because if we have one more shot at it, I am going to be spurning everybody and anybody on. And I'm telling you, if you're in the church and you're just being, you know, playing house, I'm going to tell you. And I bet the pastors of whatever churches I'm at aren't going to like that. But I'm going to tell you because this is the message Samuel was given. Turn from these asterisks, turn from Baal, turn from all these pagan things that we have allowed to come into the church, turn, and he will deliver you. But you better stand up. Charles Finney, 
A great revivalist said this, Revival comes from heaven when heroic souls enter the conflict determined to win or die. Or if need be, to win and die. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. I think that's in Matthew. That's a very good description of Samuel. That's who I want to be. A man without compromise. A man who has recognized the chinks in his armor and says, I'm going to get that repaired by Jesus Christ. The power of his word and his spirit in my life. For Samuel 7, 5, Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said, there, We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Samuel was an intercessor as well. He interceded for the people. We need to be doing that now. Spurgeon said this, O men and brethren, what would this heart feel if I could but believe that there were some among you who would go home and pray for a revival? Men whose faith is large enough and their love fiery enough to lead them from this moment to exercise unceasing intercessions that God would appear among us and do wondrous things. We need to be a church of interceding. Eden and I have been talking a lot. Noah and I just talked more here just tonight too. That you know we need to we need to be praying more. And I don't know exactly how we'll do this, but I'd like to just open it up sometime here that we maybe say if any of you want to come at four o'clock or four fifteen or something, and we're going to pray before potluck. We need to be serious about what's going on. And not just while we've got troops stationed all over the place. After they go home, we still need to be praying that the church would take a stand. 1 Samuel 7, 7. When the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. When the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, don't cease to cry out to the Lord for God, to our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. The people are afraid. There's a lot of people in our country right now afraid. They need to go to God, not their own prep work. They need to go to God. Even here, they weren't looking for their earthly swords. I'm not saying don't prepare you. I've already said that's a wise thing to do, but not because you think that's how you're going to be okay. The number one reason you ought to be prepared is so that you're ready to help those who are not prepared, to, to, to be a help to others. They went to God, not earthly answers. We need to learn from this. But notice as well, they believed they believed that they could be saved. I do too. I believe that God can spare this country if my people who are called by my name will repent. Not just start crying out to him and continuing to live their lives the way they always have. Repent and start following his word.
Yep. Seek humility. Seek righteousness. Zephaniah. All you, Zephaniah 2, 3, that's it, yep. All you humble of the land. Okay, all, notice, you who do what the Lord commands. We don't stop until that deliverance comes. And it's either going to come in this life or when you die, you've been delivered. But don't give up. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Samuel said, I will pray. Far be it for me not to pray and just to give up, but I'm also going to teach you right and wrong. Okay? Not just, okay, I'll pray now. Go ahead, have fun in the Bahamas. Right? That's discipleship right there. Yep. Exactly. So it continues on here, um, and we see basically that he makes a sacrifice. Then verse 12, Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shen, called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer is a very interesting word there. It basically means the stone of help. Uh, you might remember a while back I talked about Jacob's stone at his head, the Avon Hashatia, the foundation stone. I, just to remind you, I'm not going to get into it tonight because I don't have, but you can go back and look at that. Um, a picture of Christ here, I believe. And then it goes on and it says, The Philistines were subdued. They did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. Guys, if Scripture is a pattern, we see in the judges, they sinned, they became enslaved, they cried out to God, God rescued them, all was good, they begin to sin, and it's a cycle. I pray that this is just a cycle that we're in in our country right now. And that God will bring deliverance, and that we will change. That's my prayer. That we're not at the end of it all, but that this is just a cycle. And that he's going to give us a reprieve, I hope, I don't know. But that's what I'm going to pray for. And right now, a perfect example of that, what's going on in America, what can we do? Nothing but fight on our knees and in prayer and in fasting and in crying out to God. That's not doing nothing. But it is in the physical realm. There's very little we can do right now. That's the real battle. Because, yeah, this is a spiritual battle. This is definitely where the battle's taking place. Yeah. I'm going to close out with uh, an apocryphal book that's a really good companion to Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, beloved of his Lord, established a kingdom and anointed princes over his people. By the law of the Lord, he judged the congregation, and the Lord had respect unto Jacob. By his faithfulness, he was found a true prophet, and by his word he was known to be faithful in vision. He called upon the mighty Lord when his enemies pressed upon him on every side, when he offered the sucking lamb, and the Lord thundered from heaven, and with a great noise made his voice to be heard. And I bring this up because notice what Samuel used. God's word, the law, to judge the people, to teach the people. And he was faithful in doing that and proved to be a prophet. In other words, 
by their fruit you will know them. He continues in the last slide here. It says, He destroyed the rulers of the Tyrians, all the princes of the Philistines, and before his long sleep he made a protest, a protest, pro, protestations in the sight of the Lord and his anointed. I have not taken any man's goods so much as a shoe, and no man did accuse him. Remember that? He says, If I've done any of that, here I am. Tell me now. Nobody could even say anything bad about him. After And after his death, he prophesied and showed the king his end and lifted up his voice from the earth in prophecy. Remember when the witch of Endor? To blot out the wickedness of the people. I'm telling you something. If anyone tries to lead you away from the commandments of God, they're a false prophet and you need to get out. Period. This is a picture, and like I said, it's pretty easy to see why this guy's in the Hebrews chapter 11 hall of faith. So, all right, I've gone longer here tonight again uh, because I put two people in there, but let's pray, and uh, if you want to stick around for more discussion, we can do so. Oh God, we just come to you and give you everything. We surrender it all. God, just steal and take away out of our hearts the desires that we have in this world. All these things that distract us from our, our mission here on this earth. All the things that distract us from loving others to giving to others and, and just being so selfish and greedy and, and, and narcissistic. God, we're constantly trying to build a kingdom here when this is not the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And for that we look forward and call for you to come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring this nation to its knees for its good. Lord, let the church stand Purify it that we may stand. And Lord, just help us to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We pray this in the precious and holy name of Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah. Amen.